militant group has carried out several bombings against the Taliban and on civilian targets over the last year. Indonesia's president, Joko Widodo, has acknowledged that the country's modern history has seen human rights abuse on a mass scale. This report from the BBC's Celia Hatton. In a speech at the start of his last year in office, Joko Widodo acknowledged dark moments in Indonesia's recent past. He listed 12 instances between the 1960s and early 2000s that he said were gross violations of human rights. They include the massacre of some half a million leftists in the mid-60s, the murder and abduction of dozens of activists during rallies in 1998, and similar abuses in Papua province where there's an insurgency. The president said his government would hand out compensation to the victims and their families. But some rights activists say that's not enough. Russia is to send a Soyuz rocket to the International Space Station next month to bring home its three crew members. The original capsule sprang a coolant leak, making it unsafe. The BBC's Sasha Schlichter has this update. Russia's space agency has confirmed that the December 14th leak was a result of damage to the radiator pipeline from a tiny meteorite. The minuscule hole spiked temperatures inside the capsule to 40 degrees Celsius. All spacewalks were cancelled as ground control focused on the leaky capsule, essentially a lifeboat for the crew. It is now to descend to Earth in unmanned mode. The two Russians and one American will depart the ISS on another use rocket which is urgently being sent to the station. Flying uncrewed will allow it to launch weeks before the original mid-March date. And finally Jeff Beck, the influential English guitarist who rose to fame with the Yardbirds in the 1960s and later embarked on a solo career, has died at the age of 78. His family said he died on Tuesday of bacterial meningitis. Beck recently completed a tour supporting his collaborative album with Johnny Depp, 18. You're listening to the news on RTHK. International station for an international city. This is Radio 3. Money Talk. Good morning, it's 8.05 in Hong Kong, and I'm Andrew Work, number one in line to the Work family throne, and glad my brothers still talk to me. No dog, no dog bowl, no problem. Markets are holding their breath for today's report out of the U.S. showing the consumer price index results from December. That will bring out the Dove or the Hawk in Jerome Powell & Co., last seen speechifying at the Riesbank in Sweden. Optimism about showing inflation leading to a semi-pacified Fed are impacting the expectations driving up stocks and tech stocks in particular, but also causing traders to hit the pause button on bonds and gold. Media personality and author Hank David, formerly known as Prince Harry, has topped the UK's all-time bestseller lists for nonfiction with his new book, Spare. The only books across all categories to outsell this book on the first day starred another Harry, surnamed Potter. Russia announced its biggest deficit since the fall of the Soviet Union. Even though oil revenues were up on the year, the cost of the war led to a massive $47 billion deficit, about 2.3% of GDP. This news came from the Russian Ministry of Finance. As a Finnish think tank released research suggesting sanctions were beginning to bite. Russian oil sales fell 17% in December, costing 171 million US dollars a day. More sanctions are in the pipeline with American and European lawmakers. Getting planes back in the air would help to raise oil prices, and the FAA is allowing just that, following an FAA communications technology failure that saw thousands of flights grounded. Canada's authority had a similar outage, but managed without grounding flights. 
Disney will be welcoming a new chairman, current board member, and executive chairman of Nike, Mark Parker. He will reportedly keep his Nike job in a pretty impressive case of double dipping. He was the CEO of the sneaker fashion brand from 2006 to 2020, and business was booming. Disney shares rose on the news even as it faces a proxy battle in 2023. And lost your crypto job? Better get a CV to CZ. Canadian founder of crypto giant Binance, Zhao Chengpeng, says he is hiring even as other major exchanges and crypto firms cut staff to survive the crypto winter. The McGill University grad increased headcount from 3,000 to almost 8,000 in 2022 and aims to add 15 to 30% more in 2023. Now, as a Canadian, his handle should be CZ, but I wouldn't mention that in the job interview. I'm sure he already knows. And someone who knows things is joining us for the first part of the show. We're going to be welcoming Nitin Dildas, the CIO at Mandarin Capital. And in the second part of the show, we welcome with a view from Taiwan, Ross Feingold, Business Development Director at SafePro Group and Money Talks Stalwart. Tell us on the world if you're going to be buying Hank David's book, Sanctioned Russian Oil, or some Binance coin via our Facebook page, Money Talk on RTHK Radio 3, and via Twitter at Money Talk Radio 3. And get ready for more Money Talk. Money Talk on RTHK Radio 3. It's market review time on Money Talk. The Dow picked up 0.8% to not quite hit 34,000. The S&P was up 1.3% and the Nasdaq rose 1.8% in a four-day rise that might see Nasdaq hit 11,000 before the end of the week. Meme me, baby. Bed, bath, and soon off to the beyond jumped 68% as the darling of the day for, for traders of so-called meme stocks that drove GameStop, that drove the GameStop phenomena. GameStop itself was up 7%, and another one of their faves, AMC Entertainment, was up 21%. Canadian S&P TSX was up 0.6%, led by utility and energy stocks. European markets rose, with the Pan-European Stocks 600 Index up 0.3%. The FTSEs and CAC moved up less than a percent, while the DAX jumped over 1.2%. Now, in Europe, retail stocks performed well, up over 2%, while insurance stocks were a drag, dropping 1.1%. UK's Insure Direct was down 24% after it said, no dividend for you, citing losses from storm claims, supply chain problems, and inflation. Uh, Vaca Chemi helped, jumped 8.8% to help the MDAX rise 1.4% to beat its big brother DAX in Frankfurt. In Asia, the Shanghai Composite shed 0.24% and the Shenzhen uh, Index was down 0.6%. We'll look at Taiwan later in the show, and the TIEX, measuring the Taiwan Stock Exchange, is down 0.35%, facing stiff technical resistance at the 15,000 point. Analysts also point to profit-taking in advance of the Chinese New Year uh, break, given fears of high volatility in the current market. Locally, the Hang Seng Index is up half a percentage point to threaten 21,500, uh, led by mainland China tech stocks. Maybe it'll get there today. Who knows? Indices are on the up, including the Nikkei 225 up over 1%, and the Kospi trailed with a 0.35% gain. The sexy techie Kosdaq, however, picked up almost 2%. Brent crude and West Texas Intermediate both rose 3.1% on high expectations for China's opening, and American buying aimed at rebuilding its strategic reserve. Gold picked up 0.2%, while copper tops were energized with a 2.5% jump. 
Silver, platinum, and palladium all fell less than 0.6% in 24-hour trading. 10-year bond yields shaved a little off the top to fall across the board by hundreds or thousands of a point. Uh, the U.S. dollar had a mixed day against the world, declining against a range of currencies, including the euro, the loonie, the Chinese yuan, and the Aussie dollar, but it gained against the British pound, the Swiss franc, and the Japanese yen. And if you're planning a Thai vacation or investment, you'll want to know that the Thai bot hit an 11-month high and is rising against the U.S. and therefore Hong Kong dollar. Bitcoin and Ethereum are in a holding pattern, while other top 10 cryptos are also slowing the roll after picking up about 8% in the past 7-day trading. High Flyer Solana dropped 4% yesterday, but is still up 21% on the week. And that is your market update here on Money Talk. <laughs> Back on Money Talk, we'd like to welcome to the show today, uh, Netan Dildas, the Chief Investment Officer at Mandarin Capital. Good morning. Good morning, Andrew. Good morning. You're, you're flying solo this morning, so we're going we're gonna to get your, lots of your wisdom today. Uh, everybody <laughs> poor, is... Poor, poor listeners. <laughs> <laughs> God help them, you know, between the two of us. I tell you. Um, so, you know, it seems like everybody is uh, making moves based on what they are expecting from the Consumer Price Index report out of the U.S. because that is going to drive what the Fed is going to do. Uh, what are you looking at? Yeah, I mean, I think everyone is just focused on interest rates and the byproduct of that, obviously, is the uh, inflation numbers. So people are trying to guess or second guess and they expect CPI to come down or be better than it has been in the last, say, eight, nine months. Um, I think what we're really seeing is markets are going to start uh, divulging a little bit. So you'll get the U. I think the Western markets will probably be a bit flat or slightly uh, weaker this year. Um, that's more because money shifts, and that will be money coming out of the West and coming back into the East. The East has underperformed for about the last 10 years. Um, so I think you'd, on the emerging markets and that as well. So I think you're going to start seeing a shift back into the into those kind of assets rather than, you know, we're going to see the continuing pattern of U.S. markets being strong, DAX being strong, um, and, the Euro, um, and, yeah, the Western markets outperforming. Wow. So now when you say, uh, you know, flowing from west to east, let's break down the east a little bit. How, how do you segment out the east? I mean, you've got developed economies in Japan and Korea. Well, you know, Japan, number one, then you've got the Koreans and you've got like really developing markets. But how, how do you break that out? And where's the money going to go? Well, I mean, look, I'm, I'm quite positive on Hong, the Hong Kong market. I think that's a very, very undervalued market in comparison to what we see elsewhere. And is that because of Hong Kong stocks or because of China stocks listed in Hong Kong? Um, it's a combination. I mean, we can't deny that what 40% of the market value, market cap, or 50% of the market cap is Chinese stocks. Mm -hmm. um, but it, I think so. It is a combination of the two. We've obviously had the complete underperformance of Chinese stocks over the last few years because of the um, common prosperity, because of COVID, because of a whole number of factors that were going on in China, and obviously the clampdown on the tech stocks. That all of that seems to be easing. Mm -hmm. But that doesn't necessarily mean that I'm going to be totally positive on China as a whole, because I think a lot of the manufacturing shifted away from it. That's not coming back to China. So China has to reinvent itself in the next year or two mm -hmm. um, for it to really start seeing proper economic growth again. But what, um, what I think we will see is the fact that there is this hope 
um, that China will start shifting its policies, start focusing back on private companies, allowing more of the um, private companies to do well again, mm-hmm. and a lot less of the clampdowns and regulations on the tech side. So I think that will be a, a positive, and that will carry some of the, uh, the stocks. With Hong Kong itself, I think we'll see a good bounce back, obviously, now that things are generally back to normal. Mm-hmm. A couple more restrictions to ease, and then we probably will be back to normal. And I think that should benefit Hong Kong as well. Yeah, I mean, if, uh, one of the big parts of the Hong Kong story, of course, is property, uh, real estate. Uh, we're, I'm seeing a lot of, well, not a lot, but I'm starting to see some talk about uh, a glut of commercial real estate uh, just because, you know, uh, changes in the way people are working. Mainland Chinese companies are not coming into Hong Kong commercial real estate in the way they used to, but also on the residential front where there's a lot of supply coming. And there might not be either local or mainland buyers. I mean, is that going to be a drag on the economy? I think, again, the property market has been weak for the last, say, 12 months. I mean, the numbers might not fully reflect it because they probably haven't come down as much as they should. But I think I, I do think the property market will be weak. Um, but as I said, there's the other side. There's the tourism that will start returning. There's the hospitality that will start performing better. The retails uh, should start performing better. Um, so on the commercial properties front, I, I do agree. I think people's working patterns have shifted. I do think that there's COVID has taught people that you can work from home. Mm-hmm. It is a lot more, um, it's, it's a lot more flexible. Yeah. And I think people are going to take advantage of the fact that you can be able to work flexibly. Mm-hmm. And that in a way is good for, it's actually good for companies because yeah. what happens then is, um, companies don't have to pay such huge rent anymore. Mm-hmm. You can halve your size of your office. Um, so that all comes down to bottom line. It does, you know. It, so it's not necessarily a bad thing that people um, are being a bit more flexible, and you don't need so much office space. It is bad from a, a economy perspective in terms of the Hong Kong government looking at it and prices coming down. Mm-hmm. Um, but as I said, from a corporate point of view, it's actually it's not a negative at all. Okay, and, and coming back to the China stock, you gave us a pretty uh, impressive list of uh, potential domestic reforms coming. But is China also making moves on the international front to, uh, you know, maybe ameliorate some of the headwinds that it's facing for its economy? I think it's trying to, um, but it's got a lot of lot of damage to repair, mm-hmm. um, and that's going to be the interesting thing is seeing how they can play out with the relations with a lot of these other countries. I mean, I say it's trying to, but obviously with Korea and Japan in the last few days, things haven't going, not necessarily going to plan there. Yeah. Um, but Talk, Talking, of course, about the travel restrictions going it, back. And yeah, forth. and the tit for tat. And yeah, it's just a bunch of silliness going on, really, isn't it? Yeah, and it, it seems like, however, they're, they're trying to maybe play nice with Europe. Uh, suggesting they can keep a lid on, you know, kind of restrain Putin a little bit. Maybe they can, maybe they can't. Maybe they will, they won't. Um, you know, playing nice with Australia, not so much with the US. Um, not so much, but it's not as vitriolic as it was, say, a few years ago. Um, so I think there's little measures here, little measures there. You know, a few meetings between key people. Mm-hmm. Um, that is trying to thaw some of the relations. But again, I think... The, the attitude over there is that the U.S. are trying to bully them, so why should they speak to them? And, and I don't necessarily disagree with that either. I do think there has been a, a big movement since the Trump presidency to um, just taint China in whatever way they possibly can. Yeah. Um, so China has a right to kind of feel a little bit aggrieved about it and sit back away from it. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, Europe, 
they've been kind of quiet. They kind of semi-supported the US, but they haven't fully gone down that road. Mm-hmm. And the same with the UK. So, I mean, I, I, I can understand why they're trying to play a lot nicer with Europe and the UK. Mm. Looking at some of the other the other sectors, uh, you know, with this again, we've got, you know, coming back to this consumer price index and people think it's going to show that inflation is so slowing, the Fed will slow down the interest rate hikes. Uh, what does that mean for the US dollar? Well, I think, again, if interest rates hikes start slowing down, obviously that should see a weakening of the US dollar. Um, the dollar has been extremely strong over the last few years. And it to me, I think it's topping out now. Um, I do, you're starting to see signs. Obviously, the yen's gone from about 150 back to 132. Mm-hmm. Um, the pound at a low was one, 103, 104 when, uh, when that whole mess came through uh, with Liz Truss. Um, but that's now bounced back to, say, 121, 122. The euros at a low was below parity. It's now back to 107. So you start, I mean, you're starting to see the dollar to, uh, top out. Mm-hmm. Um, I think that trend will continue, and you'll start getting back to kind of normalised rates now, where normalised rates are. Maybe the end's not going to go back to 110, but it'll probably go around 120, 125. You might see the pound back to about 125 to 130, and the euro at about 110. So I think there'll be a slight weakening in terms of US dollar. Um, and then obviously that can change because Europe and the UK are still facing quite high inflation, mm-hmm. and it really depends on their... Uh, Oh, their banks, central banks, and whether they're going to raise interest rates more aggressively because they haven't been as aggressive as the states, um, and maybe they need to play catch up on the interest rates, and that could push their currencies even further in terms of their strength. Gotcha. And from currencies to cryptocurrencies, uh, I know you've you've got yeah. opinions. You've got opinions here. I mean, <laughs> you know, after after you know after the FTX blowout, which yeah. Terra Luna, then FTX, and you know Almeida, and it's going on and on. Everybody's most of the companies are announcing they're going to be cutting their workforces, uh, but you know, most of the major cryptos are up 7% on the week, and uh, uh, CZ Peng, CZ just came out from Binance and said, hey, we're going to be adding 15 to 30% staff in the next year. He, he thinks there's a, a spring after the crypto winter coming. Um, I'm guessing you're not of that opinion. But, look, <laughs> to me, it's an intangible thing that backed by nothing. I mean, you're telling me this thing is backed by data, but what does that actually mean? And how do you quantify data? Now, do I know what data I'm owning with that currency or not? Um, so the whole thing is, it's just, I might as well just trade my car key at the same thing. At least that's tangible. Mm. And that's effectively what you're doing. You're using fiat currency, ultimately anyway, um, to get into this thing. And you're claiming it's a currency. But to me, it's just like trading a commodity per se. But it's an invisible commodity because it's not even tangible. So the whole thing doesn't actually quite make sense to me. Mm-hmm. And. I agree. I might be a dinosaur in the way I'm thinking, and you know, I'm sure a lot of younger people do tell me I'm a dinosaur in that thinking because hmm. I don't fully understand it. Um, and that's maybe the problem. I don't fully understand what we are actually trading when it comes to currencies. Now, if you're a platform, obviously you don't really care whether the currency is tangible, not tangible, or you know, backed by something or not. As long as people are putting money and trading it, hey, you know, I'm happy because I'm getting my fees out of that. Sure. Um, so I can understand it by you know some of these platforms like Binance and all. You know, trying to hire because people are still trading it. Mm-hmm. But I actually don't actually understand unless you're trying to hide your currency movement or you've got currency controls. Mm. And that, that's the only thing I can see it for, but there are other better ways I'm sure you can trade. All right. Well, I guess some people aren't so fussy about investing in things they don't understand, but you have a higher standard, which is why you are the chief investment officer at Mandarin <laughs> Capital. Kind. Yeah. <laughs> Thanks for coming on the show, dude. Thanks, we'll, we'll have you back soon. Thanks. 
All right, it's Thursday, and today we are having a view from Taiwan with our main man in Taipei, Ross Feingold, Business Development Director at Safe Pro Group. Ni hao, and welcome back to the show, Ross. Good morning, Andrew. Hey, so what is going on in Taiwan? You know, Taipei is one of our favorite places to visit, but we're talking business this morning. Give us the big picture and uh, GDP forecast. Well, as it always is, Taiwan is sensitive to global economic conditions, the uh, tech sector specifically. Uh, so uh, we go back a few months ago, the forecasts were a little rosier, you know, two and a half, the government maybe 2.75. Maybe that's because of the upcoming election in January 2024. They want to give the public some positive news. But uh, most investment bank analysts have the, or think tanks have the GDP number uh, lower, some significantly, significantly lower, below 2%. And that, again, that, that's just tracking uh, global trends. Okay, gotcha. And, you know, you're talking about the big influencers, of course, uh, the tech sector. And uh, Taiwan has just brought in some new legislation around uh, semiconductor chips. Tell us what's going on there. Yeah, people calling it a Taiwan version of a chip act. You know, actually, Taiwan has long had significant incentives for investment in the tech sector, uh, so significant uh, a depreciation allowance. Um, you know, it, you know it's, what's interesting here, Andrew, is we, we see the United States uh, in a bipartisan way, one of the few examples of, of doing something that the United States historically criticized, which was uh, to give subsidies. And that's something the United States had criticized across different sectors uh, with regards to Japan, European Union, uh, China. Uh, but now the United States has done that too with its chip back. But rather than hand cash, to manufacturers, Taiwan is using the more traditional method, which is increasing, again, the, the, the amount of R&D or, or depreciation that tech companies could take. Now, one interesting aspect of this is companies will have to prove that they play an important role in the global supply chain for semiconductors. And there's been some talk among industry leaders here about, well, I, well, yeah, we, we don't know what that means. There's no implementing regulations yet because this legislation only passed a few days ago. Uh, but uh, I would still expect the Taiwan government to try and be a partner to industry on this and to, to be generous. Uh, you know, the, the one sort of political risk in that is, is other industries say it's not fair, especially uh, the traditional industries. But I mean, it's a weird dynamic. Normally, e even allies like the Europe and the U.S., when they start having competing subsidies, they, you know, they start finger pointing and then they go take each other to the WTO. Um, but the Taiwan U.S., you know, also presumably allies-ish. Um, you know, I mean, they're both the America subsidizes chip industry to move it onshore, which in a sense, uh, you know, weakens Taiwan's defensive positions. Uh, well, and Taiwan yeah, starts that, that's to be, I mean, also a really interesting point, because right now these other places, whether it's uh, Japan or the United States or, or Europe, they want Taiwan semiconductor companies to come and spend a lot of money uh, building fabs. You know, the most notable example is uh, TSMC's fab in, in Arizona. Uh, President Biden went to a ribbon cutting uh, last month, uh, and TSMC has significantly increased the size of that or the projected investment from what was initially announced 
when the plan was, was, was first made public. And there's talk of TSMC possibly building a fab in Germany, and it's made significant investment in R&D in Japan. So uh, your, your point is absolutely correct. It's probably more a situation where rather than cry foul when it comes to Taiwan, uh, other countries are trying to get Taiwan to put investment in it, and, and maybe they're, they're reluctant to criticize. And keep in mind that that investment, you know, we get into debates about whether or not the fab in Arizona, TSMC's fab, is going to be the latest generation of chips or how, how long it will take to ramp up production. But ultimately, this is real bricks and mortar uh, investment, right? It's, it's building f- facilities. It's bringing staff in. It's, it's just great for the local economy. Sure, but Taiwan's got to hold back some some uh, some of the the highest end of the golden goose as a, as a defensive measure against being blown up. Basically, you know, that, don't blow up Taiwan because the whole the <laughs> well, whole global economy that, goes with their chips, right? Debate. Yeah. Yep. Yep. That so that's, debate is, is getting hot here. You know, people say we're, we're, we might be sending out our best technology and also our best brains, our, our best uh, uh, brain drains, uh, sure. technical people. Yeah. And yeah. Uh, it comes at a time when there was some other recent news that Taiwan's birth rate, just like other locations in Asia, is, uh, um, and its population has fallen significantly. Now, now there is a, a bit of an interesting angle there, and it's kind of linked to COVID as well, because uh, 2022 was a tiger year, and uh, a big mm. vaccine rollout in 2021. There was a lot of people on the Internet say Taiwan's fallen birth rate in 2022 was because of COVID vaccinations. But actually, because it was a tiger year, and I went back and check the data because that's what I do. Uh, the, the birth rate in Taiwan does fall significantly in every tiger year. It fell in, in 2010. It fell in 1998. But be that as it may, uh, Taiwan does have a long-term, long-term trend uh, of significant uh, fall in its birth rate. And, and uh, you know, it's an aging society. And uh, you know, that's just a risk of a brain drain as people move uh, overseas to work for Taiwan's tech industry. But there, there is a significant risk that there just won't be enough of those really smart people here in the future now brain you know birth rate's not going to impact brain drain in the short term but uh i don't i'm not a feng shui master but i know about biology rabbit year coming up any chance for that birth rate to tick up a little bit like you know rabbits well it, it, it usually does it does recover um so the data does show here in taiwan i mean one thing it shows is people do retain some traditional beliefs and they're, they're even younger generations are susceptible to family pressure but yeah uh the data shows that the birth rate in taiwan jumps up in the rabbit year and then it'll jump up in the, in the in the next dragon year as well. All right. Well, uh, we'll have to keep it up. We might, we might get you back on a year from now to see how the uh, the tigers versus the rabbits uh, worked out in the Looking birthday. forward to it. All right. Thanks a lot. That's Ross uh, Feingold coming at us from Taipei, bringing us the view from Taiwan. He's the business development director at the Safe Pro Group. Uh, You're listening to Money Talk on RTHK Radio 3. Okay, taking a quick look at the markets in motion, I can see from my dashboard that uh, the Nikkei is holding steady, you know, up a bit, down a bit. The Kospi is, wow, already up half a percent, looking good. Uh, Aussie Stock Exchange up point nine three percent already. So they're, they're, it's, it's shaping up to be a good day out there. Uh, our own Hong Kong Futures Index is showing a potential 1% gain. So be ready for action. Uh, just so you know, Jim Ross and I are doing a tagged team for Money Talk this week. He'll be back tomorrow, and I will be on Back Chat. 
So you can stay tuned now for the dynamic duo of Danny Giddings and Mike Rouse on Backchat, talking about the rise in Hong Kong's minimum wage and a new treatment for liver cancer. I'd like to thank uh, producer Yuki Tsang, who came in to save the day today, uh, as well as our regular sound man, Andy Kwok. Having a quick look at the weather, I can see mainly cloudy with one or two rain patches, max temperature around 21 degrees. But right now, it is 18 degrees Celsius and 85% humidity on Money Talk. Uh... The time is now 8.30 and the news with Barry O'Rourke. Hong Kong and the mainland resumes operations on Sunday after a three-year break during the pandemic, when cross-border travel was largely suspended. It'll feature a new service and cover more stations in Guangdong. Alok Jain is the CEO and Managing Director of TransConsult, a company that provides consulting services in transportation. Well, it is still, I would say, a partial resumption. It's a welcome move, obviously, long awaited. Uh, it's a, it resumes the connection between Guangzhou and Hong Kong, the high-speed network. But obviously, uh, it's still uh, a number of other destinations. I mean, high-speed used to operate more than 50 destinations into mainland China prior to the COVID. And I think those resumptions will also be equally important to attract enough people to use the West Kowloon Station and coming back to Hong Kong from mainland. The U.S. aviation authorities are still trying to find out why a safety messaging system failed, grounding all departing flights for more than an hour early yesterday. There had been irregularities with the system overnight, but the backups should have prevented a total failure. The U.S. Transport Secretary said there was no indication of a cyber attack. A suicide bomb attack outside the Afghan foreign ministry in Kabul has caused heavy casualties. A police spokesman said five civilians were killed, but another Taliban official put the number of dead at 20. The Islamic State group has claimed responsibility for the attack. The BBC's Anbras and Etirajan has this report. The latest incident will be seen as a big security lapse, a daring suicide bombing in a heavily protected zone where there are some foreign embassies are also situated. The Taliban claim to have improved security since storming back to power in August 2021. But the Islamic State militant group has carried out several bombings against the Taliban and on civilian targets over the last year. Republican, the Republican Party in his district has called on the controversial U.S. Representative George Santos to resign immediately. Party leaders in Nassau and New York State said his deceit and fabrications made him a disgrace to the party and the U.S. Congress. Jennifer DeSena, the supervisor of the town of North Hempstead, said Mr. Santos was unfit for office. The lies George Santos told are too numerous to count. He lied to me personally when he sought my endorsement, and while I'm offended and disgusted at his deceit, my true concern is for the residents of the 3rd Congressional District. He has betrayed the public's trust and given insincere, glib, and insulting answers when asked legitimate questions about his finances and his background. A lawyer for the failed cryptocurrency firm FTX says his team has salvaged more than five billion US dollars in assets following the company's spectacular collapse in November. Andrew Dieterich told a US bankruptcy court that efforts to sell other assets with a book value of more than four billion dollars were in hand, but warned the final hit to nine million investors remained unclear. 
A lawmaker from Britain's governing Conservative Party has been suspended after comparing COVID vaccines to the Holocaust and claiming they're causing serious harm. Andrew Bridgen will now sit as an independent MP while a formal investigation into his comments made on social media takes place. Britain's Prime Minister Rishi Sunak condemned the comments. It is utterly unacceptable to make linkages and use language like that, and I'm determined that the scourge of anti-Semitism is eradicated. It has absolutely no place in our society, and I know that the previous few years have been challenging for the Jewish community, and I never want them to experience anything like that ever again. Britain's culture minister has insisted that the famously disputed Parthenon marbles belong in the UK. Michelle Donnellan said they shouldn't be returned to Greece. The BBC's Katie Razzell reports. In recent months, there's been speculation that the museum's chair, the former Chancellor George Osborne, is close to agreeing a deal to send the artworks back to Greece. Michelle Donnellan told me she doesn't support a permanent return. I think sending them back is a, is a, a dangerous road to go down. It's important that we stand up and protect our culture. This would o- 